we're in week three of a series called The Apprentice, and I've honestly found this series uh, really helpful, first of all, but secondly, I find it really freeing, and uh, I'm, I'm trusting that you're feeling the same, and it's, it's uh, again, a significant uh, time for us. This is not a series that we're going to spend a couple of weeks in and then uh, move on to something else. This is a series that is shaping our year and, and our future, and uh, we'll be spending the bulk of this year in this series. We'll, we'll swing in, in, in and out a little bit here for a little bit something extra and something extra, but we'll be spending the bulk of the year in this series. So if, you, if this is your first time here, or perhaps you've missed one or two messages, onto our website, anthem.org.za. Uh, you'll find all of the sermons, all of the podcasts there. If you listen to a podcast streaming app, if you search for Anthem Church, you'll find us. All of the sermons are on there. And I encourage you to uh, go in it and listen, because we are going on a journey. And uh, we don't want people to be left behind in the journey. We want people to be with us on the journey. And so uh, if you've fallen behind, do that. It's, uh, it's honestly worth it. This is a series that's going to fundamentally and forever shift how we do our lives. I, I believe that there's power in every sermon that we preach. Every time I get up to preach, I trust that there's power to correct, to rebuke, to encourage, to instruct. That's beautiful. And I still believe that. But man cannot live from sermon to sermon, from Sunday to Sunday. Man has to, our lives have to change. And so if, we, if, if you live from good sermon to good sermon, and you perhaps go to hillsongtv.com in the middle of the week, and maybe Stephen Furtick's top three messages on a Thursday, that's not going to sustain you. That's not what this series is about. This series is, there's been some good sermons in this series, but that's not what it's about. This, this series is about shaping how we live our lives, which is of far more importance than preaching a good, a good sermon. And so I'm trusting this morning that I'll preach a good sermon, but that's not what I'm going for. I'm trusting that our lives would be shaped and changed as we go in this series this morning. See, Christianity is a way of life. Robin Tooley, he was sharing at the Anthem Summit um, on, the, on the Saturday, and he was speaking about um, God having a pattern and an arrangement for life. Everything that God has created, God has a pattern for, and he has an arrangement for it. And that Christianity is not a good sermon. Christianity is a way of life. It's, it, it dictates my thoughts. It dictates my relationships. It dictates my health. It dictates my sexuality. It dictates my parenting. It dictates my finances. Everything that I do has a pattern and an arrangement in it. That's what Christianity is. Christianity is not just come to church on a Sunday and hear a good sermon. Christianity has to change the way that I live. The way that we live and discover this pattern and arrangement is called apprenticeship. Jesus called the people that followed him in the Bible his disciples or his followers, and we wouldn't use the word disciple very often today. We're more familiar with the term apprentice. We understand a little bit, perhaps less nowadays, but closer to than disciple. We understand what an apprentice is more than we understand what a disciple is. And those, those two words are kind of interchangeable. I think apprenticeship today is becoming a lost art. It's becoming a lost form of instruction. And it's a casualty of the internet age. I can go online today. I can teach myself anything I want to learn. But I can't practice. The problem with that is twofold. First of all, I've got to check the source that I'm teaching myself from because there's no yardstick for truth on the internet. Just because I read it on the internet doesn't mean it's true. Just because somebody sent it to you in a WhatsApp doesn't mean it's true. So there's no, test, there's no yardstick for truth. And second of all, there's no room for me to practice. Those of you that don't, that, that don't think practicing is important, answer this question. Which of these two people would you rather fly in a plane with? The person who hasn't studied but has done 50 flights with an instructor 
or the person that has studied and has done 5,000 years, 5,000 hours on an Xbox simulator? Which of those two people would you rather pilot in your plane? See, the problem, with, the problem with losing the art of apprenticeship is we, can't, we have no yardstick for truth in what we are learning, and we have no way to practice. If I'm sitting by myself, I can't practice something. You don't do your NQF5 as an electrician and then go from there out of varsity and rewire a substation. And if you do, that's where we get load shedding from. <laughs> but you come and you, you, you study, and then you do an apprenticeship under a master electrician. And the goal of your apprenticeship is you've studied and then you spend time with a master electrician who shows you how to become an electrician. Christian discipleship, Christian apprenticeship is exactly the same. We study, we get information, absolutely, and we'll go through that in a minute, and then we spend time with the master to learn how to be an apprentice. And the goal of apprenticeship is to become like the master. The goal of, if I, if I do an electrician's apprenticeship, I'm not doing it to become famous on Instagram. I'm doing it to become an electrician, right? So the goal, of, the goal of my apprenticeship with Jesus is not to say hashtag apprentice, hashtag I'm, now I'm, a, I'm a disciple. The goal of my apprenticeship with Jesus is to become like the master, Jesus. The goal of a Christian apprenticeship or discipleship is to learn a new way of living, a new way of life. Uh, John Foreman from the band Switchfoot calls it a new way to be human. The purpose of Christian apprenticeship is to order our lives around three goals. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the things that Jesus did. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the things that Jesus did. When Jesus lived his life here on earth, that's how he invited people to be his followers. Come and be with me. If you be with me, you will become like me. And as you are with me and you're becoming like me, so you will begin to do the things that I've been doing and I'm going to do. And then he said, in fact, and you will do greater things because I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. Let's look at a couple of scriptures in the Bible. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. <coughs> Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. He's in another translation says, I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Have you ever wondered that? They're, they're busy working. This guy that they don't know comes, he says, follow me. I'll teach you. They drop what they're doing and follow him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, both sons of Zebedee, surely. James, James sounds like he was a favorite. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed them. Thanks, boys. I'll clean this one up. That's Matthew chapter 4, uh, verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and the people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, which is ten cities, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan all began to follow him. And so he finds uh, these men going about their daily lives, and he says to them, come and be with me. Come and follow me. Come and be my apprentice. And he, Jesus has these men uh, beginning to follow them, and he, then he begins to teach them. He heals the sick. Then he begins to preach. He begins to teach them and instruct them. He says, come and follow me. Come and be with me. And then as I teach you and instruct you, you will start to become like me. 
And after you've done that, as you are doing those two things, you'll begin to do the things that I'm doing. A bit later in John chapter 5, Jesus calls this, come and, he doesn't say come and be with me. He phrases it a bit differently. He says, abide with me. He uses the word abide. This is not a word that we, again, use very often today, abide. The Afrikaans have a beautiful word. It's called kair. If Jesus was Afrikaans, he would have said, kom kair. He's not, saying, he's not saying, come and sit with me, come and sit next to me at synagogue on a Friday, and then sit next to me at the bra next week, Thursday. He's saying, come and be with me. Come and abide with me. Rich, uh, Rich, used in a, uh, Rich gave us some stats a couple of weeks ago about, us, about cell phones. How many times a day we check our cell phone? How many times a day we touch? How many times a day we swipe? In the thousands, the average person. And I know I'm above average. And, I, and I, I'm sure I don't speak only for myself. Most of us here are above average in the amount of times that we touch our phones. And so we can look at that and be shocked, which we should be. Nobody's saying that's healthy. Nobody's agreeing that that's healthy. Nobody's arguing that. But what our phones are actually teaching us to do is to abide. So our phones wake us up in the mornings. Our phones keep us up at night. Our phones interrupt our time with our families. Our phones go with us to our business meetings. Our phones uh, distract us from driving. (laughs) Our phones are teaching us the meaning of this word abide. Jesus says, don't abide with your phone, abide with me. So like I say, we, we don't have a choice whether or not we worship. Our only choice is what we worship. We don't, we don't have a choice whether we abide. We're abiding in something already. All we, all we need to do is switch what we are abiding in. The same principle, as closely as you hold your phone, hold your Jesus. Closer. Abide. Cum care. Don't put me on silent when you go to the movies. Put your phone on silent. But don't put Jesus on silent. Put him in your pockets. Take him to your business meetings. Check in with him constantly. He has messages for you. Jump ahead, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It says this. Jesus said to the crowds, uh, Jesus saw the crowds and he went up on the mountainside and he sat with them. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So in Matthew chapter 4, he starts talking. He says to his disciples, come, abide with me. Come and be with me. Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, he starts teaching them and instructing them. This is how you be like me. He says, come and be with me, and then I'll teach you to be like me. And you can, uh, you can go and read that, Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. Uh, go and read it. It's very helpful. The end goal of discipleship is to do what Jesus did, but this isn't the first goal. We're not saying that you graduate. It's, it's not be like Jesus, half colors, become like Jesus, full colors, do what Jesus did, now you've got your honors blazer, and you forget about the other two. It, it, it's not a graduation and a stepping stone. It's as you be with me, so you become like me, but you're still with me. You're still abiding. As, you're becoming, as you are with me and you're becoming like me, so you then begin to do the things that you do. You don't forget the half colors and the full colors. You still keep doing them. See, that the end goal of what we want to do is to live in such a way that, that you are the type of person that continues the work of Jesus here on earth. Jesus' work wasn't to perform miracles. Jesus' work wasn't to raise the dead. I'm not a disciple of Jesus so that I can perform miracles. I'm a disciple of Jesus because I want to show people a way of living. So there's 10 things that Jesus did uh, in a way of living, in, in this way of living that he came to show us. There's 10 things. There's many more, but these are, there's no less than this. It's preaching the gospel, teaching the way healing the sick, casting out demons, eating and drinking with people far from God, doing justice, peacemaking, praying, prophesying, standing up against religious and political corruption. Now, if if you are a disciple or a follower 
or an apprentice of Jesus, this is your end goal. So I said at the beginning that this series has been really freeing for me, and here's why. It takes three to four years to do an apprenticeship to become an electrician. It takes 10 years to study and do an apprenticeship as a doctor. To be an apprentice of Jesus will take your lifetime and more. I said apprenticeship is the victim of the internet age because we, we, we want something and we want it now. Who, who can tell me what Jesus did between the ages of birth and 30? We have one instance of Jesus in the temple as a 12-year-old, and that's it. We have Jesus being born, we have Jesus as a 12-year-old in the temple, and then we have Jesus as a 30-year-old performing a wedding, at a, miracle, a, wedding, a miracle at a wedding in Cana. Jesus, it took Jesus 30 years to be Jesus. We want to get saved, and we want to say, the goal is doing, things that Jesus, doing the things that Jesus did, but it's not today's goal. Today's goal is be with Jesus. Become like Jesus, because the more you're with him, the more you'll become like him. The more, you're, the more you become like him, you will then begin to do these 10 things. Please don't, there's people here that looked at that list, I thought one, two, three, by the time you got to number two, you thought, I can't do that. There's too many things for me to do. This is not a list of things to do. This is a list of byproducts that happen when you spend time, when you're with Jesus, when you become like Jesus. This is a list of byproducts that follow out of that. There's not a list, there's not a list to tick off. Heal the sick, tick. Prophesy, tick. There's not a list. This is a list of byproducts. This, this, these are byproducts that, follow, that flow. The pattern of life that Jesus follows with his disciples or apprentices is this. Live with Jesus, live like Jesus, and then adapt Adopt the life of Jesus. So Jesus sends them out. In Luke chapter 10 or Luke chapter 8 and 9, Jesus sends out. They've been with, the disciples have been with Jesus. Jesus then sends them out. And in Luke chapter 10, they then come back and Jesus debriefs with them. And they say, Jesus, this way of life that you've taught us, it works. We're healing the sick. We've seen demons flee. The demons are obeying us. What you've taught us is working. Jesus says, don't rejoice that the demons Listen to you. Rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, rejoice that your eternity is secure with God more than in the way of life. The way of life is awesome, and it's for the purpose of, your, of others' eternity being secure. So don't rejoice in the way of life. Show others the way of life, and then rejoice in, the, in, in your eternity. He comes back. Uh, they come back. He debriefs them, and then he sends them out again. Matthew chapter 28, what some Christians call the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, he says this. After he's debriefed them, he sends them out again, and he says, Go and make disciples of all nations. That can be translated as you go, as you are about your everyday lives. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Don't you love Jesus' words here? He says, Go and do it, and I will be with you. What's, what do we say the three steps of discipleship are? Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. The first step is be with Jesus. He says, go, and you know what? If you are going and doing that, I'll do number one for you. I will be with you. The first one's free. The second two will cost you your life. The second two will cost you your way of life. The second, the second two will cost you everything about how you want to live your life to be laid down for how Jesus wants your life to be lived. See, the reason that Jesus came to earth was for his life to serve as a pattern, as an example of how we should live. So again, some of you would have looked at that list of 10 things and said to yourself, one, two, three, those things are awesome. Jesus did all of those things, but he was God. I can't, those things are beyond me to do. 
what kind of a God would Jesus be if, if, his, if his life was given and lived on earth as a pattern and as an example for us to follow? What kind of a God would he be if he came and said, he has the list, brr, do all of these things, live like this, live in this, live in this, live in this, and at the bottom there was an asterisk. And when you follow the asterisk, there was a little fine print at the, at the bottom and it said, for best results, start off as God. <laughs> what kind of a God would he be? If this list that he'd given us, this pattern and arrangement of life to live, if Jesus' life was an example to us, what kind of a God would he be if it was beyond our grasp to do it? Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says this, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He made himself nothing rather taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In other words, you know what that's, that verse is saying? Jesus didn't play the God card. You know, you know card playing? Those of you who have had pregnant wives know about the card playing. Love, can you please yourself being pregnant? Play the pregnancy card. I can't do it. Jesus, not once, Jesus... From when he was born, he had a God card in his back pocket. Not once did Jesus play the God card. I, I, I can do this because I'm God, or I won't do that because I'm God. Not once did Jesus play that card. It's absolutely possible for us to do all of the things that Jesus did by becoming his apprentices, by following our master and becoming like him. So the question then has to be, how do we be with Jesus? How do we become like Jesus? And how do we do what Jesus did? In a post-Christian Durban, you might have heard the word post-Christian being thrown out uh, every, every now and again. Uh, Donald Trump's, the Americans are favorite, are, uh, love using it and love throwing it out. And here's what it simply means, post-Christian. We live in a post-Christian world. In other words, the world that we live in no longer considers itself by default Christian. If you grew up in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 60s, uh, people that grew up in this country would have considered themselves Christian by virtue of the fact that they were born what they thought was a Christian country. It had no impact on how they lived, had no impact on their arrangements of life, but by virtue of the fact that, that they thought they were in a Christian country, uh, that then dictated their morals, their ethics, their understanding, or they thought it did. And what it means is people that are born today, children that are born today, children that are in schools today, children that are, that are in high schools and universities today, don't consider themselves Christian by default. You might think that's a bad thing. I honestly think it's a good thing. What's disappearing is people that think they are Christian by default. You know, there's a scripture in the Bible that says, I would rather that you are cold than lukewarm. You know what growing up in a Christian country does? Being Christian by default makes you lukewarm. Jesus, I would rather that you're cold. We've got people that are growing up today cold, which is better according to Jesus, than being lukewarm. That's the world that we live in today. Um, so, so, so the question then is, how do, we how do we be with Jesus? How do we become like Jesus? And how do we do what Jesus did in, in that context in Durban? A couple of quick points, and then we're done. Before that, uh, to live this way, where we live, and when we live, it's hard, is hard. It's always been hard throughout history. And it will always be hard. But I believe it takes four things in order to live this life in post-Christian Durban. It takes teaching, practice, community, and the Holy Spirit. 
takes teaching, practice, community, and the Holy Spirit. It takes teaching because God has gifted people to teach, not because they're any better than people who don't teach, simply because God has gifted them. Those who are gifted in woodwork, I don't think they're better than me. I just think they're different to me. So I want to learn from those who know woodwork, if I was into woodwork, which I'm not. (laughs) There are people that are, though. (laughs) Secondly, it takes practice. It takes practice because you would rather fly with a pilot who's done 50 flights with an instructor without studying than somebody who's studied for four years and done 5,000 hours on an Xbox simulator. Thirdly, it takes community because we were not created to be alone, nor was the life that Jesus modeled to be lived alone. And fourthly, it takes the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the center point around which all of this pivots. If you can picture a pivot or a a, a stake of wood being put in the ground and everything else, this whole arrangement of life swings and it pivots around the center point of the Holy Spirit. He holds everything together. This whole arrangement of life is held together by a center pivot. If that center pivot is off, the alignment and the arrangement goes out and it doesn't swing. It doesn't swing in unison. At all. If you've never heard about the Holy Spirit, if you don't understand anything of the Holy Spirit, we will be going through in this series, we'll be teaching a little bit about it, but until we get there, why don't you initiate a discussion in your life groups? Go to your life group leader and ask him or her some questions. Start a discussion about uh, the Holy Spirit. If you, if you have no context of who the Holy Spirit is, start that discussion in a life group. We will be teaching on it throughout the series, but uh, you can start there. It takes teaching, practice, community. And it takes the Holy Spirit. But how do we practically do it? Number one, I believe we need to know our stage of discipleship and our season of life. So I said it, we we, we have no idea what Jesus did from ages birth to 12 and then 12 to 30. We have no idea what Jesus did. Jesus spent that time becoming Jesus. When, uh, in fact, when, when, Jesus, uh, when Jesus' mother Mary comes to him at the wedding in Cana, and he says, she says, please uh, help these people out. They've, got, they've run out of wine. You need to do something about it. What Jesus' response to her is, my time has not yet come. It's not, it's not yet my time to be revealed as the Son of God. It's not my time to perform miracles. I feel like I haven't, I haven't, uh, I haven't finished forming myself. Jesus understood his season of life. He understood his stage of discipleship. It took Jesus 30 years to become Jesus. And then he spent three years being himself. I said this series has been freeing for me because we can so easily get caught up in wanting to be more like Jesus and so we try harder. We try harder to be like Jesus. I love the example Rich used a few weeks ago of somebody trying to play a symphony in a piano. Uh, Because he has the music. Just try harder. I can't. No, no, just try harder. Well, I can try as hard as I want. It's going to take teaching. It's going to take community. It's going to take (laughs) practice. It's going to take the Holy Spirit. Lord knows it's going to take a lot of the Holy Spirit if I'm going to play a symphony in the piano. But it's going to take those four things. That, That thing doesn't just happen today. It's a matter of spending time as an apprentice with a master and learning what needs to be done. I think that people fall on either side of this. Some people get frustrated because they want to be in the next season before they've finished the season that they're in. And then I think some people use their season as an excuse. I, I can't really help out because uh, I'm just in a season of being with Jesus. That's beautiful. Why don't you go be with Jesus and Anthem Kids? They need volunteers too who are with Jesus. 
So don't get frustrated in the season that you're in because you're not where you want to be. But at the same time, don't use your season as an excuse to not do what God has called you to do. You can still serve in every season of your, of your life and in every stage of your discipleship, you can still serve the purposes of God where he has put you. One of the greatest gifts we can give to ourselves and to our families and those around us is to recognize our stage of discipleship and our season of life because we will be far less frustrated people. If we can live according to that, we will do well. Number two, ask yourself, what would Jesus do if he was me? What would Jesus do if he was me? When I was a Christian, uh, when I was a younger Christian, I still am a Christian. (laughs) When I was a younger Christian, uh, coming out of school in the early, the late 90s, uh, we had those, what would Jesus do bracelets? You remember those? If you were around the church for in the 90s, you would have remembered them. WWJD, what would Jesus do bracelets? The idea was that uh, every time you were going to say something or do something, you would stop and ask yourself, what would Jesus do? It's a beautiful thought, and it's a beautiful premise. He has the problem with it. Jesus was a man who lived in the first century AD. He was a Jewish man, and he lived in Jerusalem. What Jesus would have done is very different to what I need to do in Durban in 2020, because Jesus had a context. Some of the things that Jesus did in the first century in Jerusalem as a Jewish man would be wrong for me to do in Durban in 2020, because Jesus had a very specific context. And so do we. We have a very specific context. Remember, we, we are wanting, we, we live in a post-Christian world in Durban in 2020. How do we do those things today? We have to give what we're doing a context. The better question to ask yourself is, what would Jesus do if he was me? What would Jesus do if he had my age? If he had my education? If Jesus had my wealth? If he had my upbringing? If he had my network of friends? What would Jesus do then? That gives it my context. A biblical historian called N.T. Wright is a guy I love to read, and I love this quote of his. He says this, For too long we've read the scriptures with 19th century eyes and 16th century questions. It's time we get back to reading with 1st century eyes and 21st century questions. We're not all in the same place. Along with knowing your season and your stage of discipleship, you have to know your context. See, just because the gospel is always relevant, it doesn't mean that you are. Just because the gospel is always relevant, it doesn't mean that you are. Number three, don't underestimate the power of practicing the way of Jesus in community. Don't underestimate the power of practicing the way of Jesus in community, this arrangement of life in community. Our last baptism service last year was a real highlight for me, and I had the privilege of watching Mark Flanagan and Graham Noble baptize a man by the name of Malcolm. Many of you won't know him, won't know his story, but I'm going to tell it to you this morning. Uh, Malcolm and his wife, Emanuela, came to this church uh, over a year ago, and uh, Emanuela met Jesus, and uh, she kept dragging Malcolm along. They came to Growth Track, and uh, they finished Growth Track, and at the end of it, Malcolm said, can I talk to you? I said, no problem, and he said, I can't join this church because I'm not a Christian. I said, that's okay. He said, do you mind if I still keep coming? I said, please, you're welcome to. He said, and do you mind if I keep coming to a life group, even though I'm not a Christian? I said, I don't mind, I would actually like you to. So not only do I not mind, but please, I'd love you to. And so Malcolm and Manuela spent the next six to nine months coming to church most Sundays, coming to a life group most Tuesdays. And then I had a discussion with them 
he phoned me again. He said, I'd like to talk. I said, no problem. And we went out for breakfast, and he said, I realized a couple of things. I, had a bunch, I came in with a bunch of questions which were stopping me becoming a Christian. Some of those have been answered to varying little levels of adequacy. Some of them haven't. And I realized I'm not going to get the answers to those other questions without making a decision to follow Jesus. Will you help me? And I said, absolutely. And so we had a discussion, and I preached that following Sunday. And, and at the end of the service, I said, is there anybody here who would like to begin following Jesus, like to become an apprentice of Jesus? And Malcolm's hand shot up. And he'd been in an ongoing discussion with Mark and with a couple of the other guys in their life group. And I had the privilege of watching those two men baptize their friend two weeks later in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Never underestimate the power of practicing the way of Jesus in community. A man called Dallas Willard puts it this way. There is a special evangelistic work to be done, of course, and there are special callings to it. But if those in the church are really enjoying fullness of life, evangelism will be unstoppable and largely automatic. Number four, start with the basics. Start with the basics. That list of ten that I read, you would have started freaking out at number two. What you didn't see is number seven. Eat and drink with people far from God. Eat and drink with people far from God. That's one of the things that Jesus came doing. There's a, there's a story in the Bible about a man called Zacchaeus. If you're a Christian and you've been in this church, you will know it because it's where our sowing September comes from. But Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a man who exploited the poor. He was a man who was despised. He was a sinner. He was corrupt. Jesus is in town and, he's a, and Zacchaeus is a small man. He can't see Jesus. And so he climbs a fig tree to see Jesus. Jesus sees him up the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, he knows his name. He says, Zacchaeus, uh, let's you and me eat and drink together. I don't have a home. Let's go to your house. Jesus invites himself. You got those friends? <laughs> Invite themselves to your house for, for lunch. Jesus was that guy. Let's go to your house. He says, Zacchaeus, not only you and me, bring all of your tax collector friends, all of your sinners, all of the reprobates, all of your corrupt state capture guys. Me, you, and them at your house for lunch. Two scriptures here. Luke chapter 19 says this. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, talking about Zacchaeus, because this man too is a son of Abraham. The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's the what. What did Jesus do? The son of man came to seek and save the lost. He has the how. Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, it says this. The son of man came eating and drinking. And they say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors like Zacchaeus and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. That's the how. The what is the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And the how is the Son of Man came eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. You might have looked at that list of ten and thought, I can't do any of them. Eat and drink with people who are far from God. Every week we try and give you and next, one step to do. This is your one step this week. How's that for homework? Have a meal with somebody. I wish my homework at school was like that. Go and eat and drink with somebody who's far from God. Don't preach to them. Don't preach to them. Go and have a meal with them. Eat and drink with somebody who's far from God. Number five, and lastly, live in the moment. 
Doing what Jesus did isn't something that you schedule into your diary. So I'm a furious diary keeper. I get laughed at and mocked constantly for carrying my diary around. I don't like my diary to be in my phone. I like a hard copy. I want an A4 diary because I've got a lot of stuff. I'm a very important man. <laughs> so I've got a lot of stuff to write. But I, I meticulously put everything in my diary, what I need to do. Except for the meeting I had that I missed two weeks ago, which I apologize, Irene. Uh, every other meeting I put in my diary. And I... What I found is putting those meetings in there actually helps me to compartmentalize my life. Because I've got a lot of things going on, uh, I found that those things don't sit in the back of my mind and keep me up at night because uh, I'm not worrying about them because I've scheduled a time to deal with it. So I don't have to think about it later. That's just a freebie, by the way. But uh, I, I furiously keep it. I furiously keep that diary. But I can't schedule in doing what Jesus did. 9 o'clock on Monday morning, heal the sick. 11.45 on Wednesday, cast out demons. I can't put that in my diary. I've got to live in the moment. See, doing what Jesus did means that my life that I've meticulously planned is going to get constantly interrupted by people. And I've got to be okay with that. And so have you. It sounded strong, but it is strong. You have to be okay with people interrupting your meticulously planned lives so that you can live in the moment of what God is doing if you want to, be, if you want to do what Jesus did. Being an apprentice of Jesus means that we be with Jesus, we become like Jesus, and then we do what Jesus did. Can you stand with me, please, friends?